0: Hello, everybody. I'm really pleased to welcome you to MHTV. Um, tonight, we obviously had a break last week, but we're back fighting strong tonight. And we've got two fantastic guests with us, and we're going to be looking at kind of that real interplay between sort of mental health, physical health, and how uh, mental health nurses are around in general services. So before we do that, though, it would be really good, as ever, to have your questions, um, any comments you've got. So let me hand over to Dave for a second, so he can tell you how you can join in. Dave?
1: Uh, Yes, so you've got two options to join in tonight. The first is by posting in the Facebook live stream. Uh, The second is if you head over to Twitter and use the hashtag MHTV and we'll be searching for that hashtag tonight and we'll try and bring in as many comments as we can to our excellent guests. But before that, back over to you, Nikki. Fantastic. Let's hear
0: from our guests first of all. So, first of all, Simon, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Hello, good evening, everyone. I hope you're keeping well. So my name's Simon Arday. I'm I'm a mental health nurse by background. I guess that's usually how I start most sentences these days. Um, And I'm working in in a couple of different settings. So in education at the University of Roehampton as a senior lecturer in parity of esteem. So that's sort of working across our mental health and uh, physical health programs. And also clinically as a specialist renal mental health nurse. So that one's a little less... um, Straightforward working with people with chronic kidney disease and concurrent uh, mental health needs at Kings.
0: Perfect. And Dan, tell us about yourself.
2: Uh, hi everyone. Yeah,
3: so I'm also a mental health nurse by background. Um, I've worked in education, specialist in eating disorders for a long period of time, um, where I loved working. So um, got a background in complex mental health presentations, but very much a therapeutic and a systemic kind of uh, framework in terms of my education. Mm -hmm. Um, I work with Simon in education and development, so it's all about looking at courses where there's an overlap between the acute trusts, um, hospitals that care for people with physical health problems, and mental health trusts, and so Simon and I worked on that, um, and so we're very pro parity of esteem, um, Mm -hmm. and now I'm head of nursing in an acute trust
2: in London.
0: Let's talk about that. So when we're talking about parity for esteem, what are people talking about? What does it mean?
2: I think that's the uh, that's the, the million, million pound question. So interestingly, I think there are different definitions and kind of different understandings, but yeah. I think the way I see it is not just the, the kind of aspect around holistic care, so kind of valuing yeah. physical and mental health on the same sort of footing, providing service. Yeah. That encapsulate both but also kind of yeah. how we create those conditions to to work in that way so from if you're going to call it from sort of board towards so thinking from the top of the organization right to the point of delivery how are we thinking about integration how are we working with that mindset It's the way i kind of mm. think about it.
0: Mm. Is there okay, anything you wanted to add to that dan
2: yeah I, I think you know one of the big
3: the big facts that we're looking at here is um is how physical health is affecting um, those with mental health conditions and how it's not really been addressed practically. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, the big statistic that we hear a lot of the time and um, all kinds of evidence is backing this up is that people with Mm -hmm. serious mental illness die a lot, lot earlier than they should. Um, so we're looking at 15 to 20 years and because we know that why are people with mental health problems dying so much younger you know maybe in their 40s rather than their 60s or their 60s rather than their 80s why is that happening so parity of esteem is really kind of like this sort of banner or this flag this phrase that we're using to say let's let's make a difference to that like Mm -hmm. Simon says from board all the way down to ward Um, Mm -hmm. yeah and it's about equity and it's about equality really.
0: Mm. So what where do where do mental health nurses come into this? What what's the role of mental health nurses in parity of esteem?
2: Um, I think so if I if I think back to sort of roles I've been in clinically, so I spent quite a lot of time in liaison psychiatry. Mm-hmm. And for me, liaison was very much at the forefront of parity of esteem. So not only were we kind of providing a service. To, to kind of support people's mental health in an, in an acute hospital setting, but very much the kind of teaching role that liaison played in terms of kind of building that capability mm-hmm. with other clinicians in the trust, kind of sharing that knowledge, coaching to yeah. some degree, offering a, a degree of supervision. So yeah. I, I feel like mental health nurses, our, our role is, in, in parity of esteem is, is similar to I guess our role clinically. There's a there's a lot of dexterity to it, there's a lot of flexibility. Mm. And it's about kind of finding those opportunities to to fight the good fight. <laughs> this is kind Yeah, of yeah I yeah. think I I I mean obviously
3: Simon's a genius so he always gets the answers <laughs> like really clear and concise. <laughs> but um one of the things I think mental health nurses are really good at is just working with people and finding out what it is that they need so whether it's sometimes something really simple like someone to sit and listen really classic really standard or whether it's like this pain that's almost indescribable and Mm. actually you need to really work with someone to help understand you know that actually that this thing that's going on somewhere in their leg or even has some kind of strange weight to it or has got some kind of sensation that reminds them of something actually could be linked to diabetes and mental health nurses are really good at having conversations that take a tiny little bit of information and expand on it so in terms Mm -hmm. of what's the role of the mental health nurse in this i think if we're looking on uh, you know at first patients who are in mental health settings it's about us Mm -hmm. helping people to Mm -hmm. verbalize and to really kind of describe what is going wrong um, Mm -hmm. physically and what that feels like and then helping them Mm -hmm. access the help
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So on a everyday sort of basis. What what's your your both of your roles in in actually that? Because you have quite quite unusual jobs in some ways for mental health nurses.
3: Yeah, yeah. Simon, I'm always gonna let you go first because I, I want to hear what you say and then I'll know what to, to answer.
2: <laughs> so um I guess what my role looks like. So I kind of think about it in three ways. So there are a cohort of people that I work with with a serious mental illness who have gone on to develop chronic kidney disease, yeah. thinking about um, comorbidities in terms of diabetes, mm-hmm. hypertension, some of the medications that um, people have prescribed which have an impact on, on their renal function. So yeah. with that group um, of people, it's Kind of understanding the the, the kind of nuances of, of their treatment. So thinking about how do we support people when they're coming in for for dialysis sessions? Um, how do we make adjustments to kind of enhance their treatment or, or optimize yeah. their treatment so that um, people don't necessarily disengage? Or we kind of develop an understanding as to the importance of it. Then there's a, a group mm-hmm. of people that I work with who um, who as a result of, I guess, the, their CKD diagnosis, they've gone on to develop um, sort of anxiety, depression, and, and that's very mm. much, I guess, dealing with the, the kind of loss that people have in terms of their role, um, the uncertainty that they have about the kind of pro- prognosis. And then mm. I've got a, a big group of people in the middle, um, and I think we'll all recognise this, people mm. who don't necessarily fit into to, to the boxes of services as we create them, but being in this role, I'm, I'm allowed to kind of work with them on a very individualized basis and think about, mm-hmm. again, things like um, how we support people who are having difficulty attending their treatment, how we, um, how we kind of, as I said, build that capability and work with the nurses, the doctors, mm-hmm. who are all really receptive in the department that I work with, about. Um, working with someone's mental health needs and, and also thinking about the psychological kind of impact of that long-term condition. So it's a mm-hmm. bit of clinical, a bit of teaching, um, hopefully a bit of research as well. It's kind mm-hmm. of my day-to-day.
0: How
2: did you find your way into it? Um, so that's uh, So to, to cut a, a long-ish story, so as I said, um, I spent quite a lot of time working in liaison psychiatry. Mm-hmm. and it was there where I first kind of started to think about the interaction between physical and mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and in between that time, I was quite fortunate to to be, or take on, or be appointed to several secondments. So one of them was looking at um, developing a rotational nursing programme between kind of A&E and, and the health-based place of safety, and this was mm-hmm. around the time that... Um, a and E's were sort of redesignated as a place of safety. There was sort of yeah. concern as to how the environment would, would be able to support people. So I kind of took that bit of work forward, and then um, I sort of took it forward again as, as a Darcy fellow, um, sort of mm-hmm. later in that year, and and then sort of that's done. This is where you you sort of came in. I think particularly as as and I speak about this quite often
0: mm-hmm. as
2: my kind of not enthusiasm but I guess that that energy that I held for this work was starting mm. to wane at the, mm. at the right time and um, being quite burnt out and sort of going against that type mm. Dan came came on board and and uh, helped kind of take it to the to the next level and so I'm sure we'll come on to talk about this but after mm. we'd finished that piece of work, um, I was looking for an opportunity to kind of do something around clinical leadership, but also mm-hmm. to do something um, kind of to, to sort of practice what I was preaching. So talking about integrated care and not sort of standing on the sidelines, but getting involved in it. And um, and actually I applied for another job that I didn't get, but kind of mm-hmm. keeping that network going, this sort of job fell into my my inbox and I thought that sounds perfect. And so I applied mm-hmm. for it and that was almost two years ago now. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's
0: perfect.
2: And I think, I think this pathway, Nikki, it's
3: kind of, Mm. it's half by accident, and it's half Mm. by opportunity. And then when you see those opportunities, you kind of go, "Ah, hey, these things link. So I was just, I was just really interested in eating disorders where I started off, um, Mm. simply because I really didn't understand it and couldn't quite conceptualize Mm. this thing as being a Mm. a mental health condition. I, I was like, oh, it must be a, must be a physical health problem. And um, Mm. I'm very much the kind of character that goes, yeah, no, I definitely know something about this. And then look into Mm. it and go, God, I know nothing about this at all. And then sort of try and build on that. And um, in eating disorders, there are lots of physical health consequences to, you know, Mm. starvation or self-induced vomiting or um, restriction or overactivity or exercise. You know, your heart can, 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 can fail on you. Your blood results are all over the place. So I started just learning that there was real links with mental health conditions and physical health problems and so for me I I sort of took this pathway and slowly I learned about it and I did did a little bit of academic work I did a master's degree in cl- clinical research and I started asking questions about it and then um and then and, you know another job came up and, and again we could, we should probably both thank uh, uh, Kath Gamble who works at mm-hmm. southwest London at St George's and uh, she was at the RCN and she'd often go wouldn't you guys you know be interested in doing something like this? And we'd be, oh yeah, yeah, very good. That's very interesting. And we'd look at everything, wow, where does where did this opportunity come from? So we we've both had opportunities to work on projects before mm. I think our current jobs that had a parity in the in you know as the core important part of them. And so we kind of started working on different projects, you know, a health education England funded project, and education project, whilst yes. we were doing our other jobs and then mm. and then. It got to a certain point. Where we're like, well, we know quite a lot about these areas now. So, it, it, we would be doing a disservice to our organisations and our mentors and mm. the people who'd helped us, if we, and our mm. patients, if we didn't just keep pushing at it.
0: Mm. I think. Yeah. yeah. No, that makes sense. It really does. Is there anything you want to add, or, or can we perhaps maybe think about one of the things we're going to think about is um, the last year. Uh, on one level, I don't. I think. Almost everybody never wants to hear the word COVID ever again. But there's been some really interesting um, movement in terms of mental health care, for sure, but physical and mental health care and how people have been working over this last year. And I wondered if you had any sort of thoughts about, you know, what mental health nurses have been up to over the last year.
3: Sure. Can I go first on this one, Simon? Yeah, please
0: do. All right, so... I guys. <laughs> Love that.
3: In, you what? know, if you've got something burning to say, though... Um, sure. So the first the first two or three weeks, I think genuinely, speaking for myself and my team, and I was in a development team which covered the whole yeah. of quite a small trust, and we worked very closely with our acute partners, we were just in shock. We didn't know what we would be expected to do. and And lots of messages were coming down from the government about you know, make sure everyone's trained in infection control, make sure everyone's in, trained in yeah. um, uh, respiratory care, make sure everyone is trained to a high level in to use PPE and, and a whole host of things that, although we're aware of, we might, you know, not everywhere has oxygen, for example. There's definitely mm-hmm. no built-in oxygen. Not everywhere mm-hmm. would use suction machines. Not everywhere yeah. would have a, access to a physiotherapist. So all of these messages were coming down. And, uh, my trust at Leap was really trying to embrace this and what what I did for the first probably three months then was work with St George's our partner trust and St George's did everything they possibly could whilst being a primary care provider for Covid patients who are incredibly unwell to help all of the mental health nurses um retrain a little bit or or upskill is probably the better word for it so so we started this kind of collaborative parity of esteem working that had kind of two two main prongs one was educate the nurses the other one was protect the patients Mm. and so we 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 did a whole sort of turnaround of this and also as mental health nurses working in all kinds of different settings we're having to become even better at looking after people's emotional well-being because suddenly Mm patients couldn't get visited by relatives and um, relatives couldn't come on to the wards and support we didn't know what would happen we didn't know how quickly the infection would spread so mental health nurses carried on doing what they were doing and at the same time really started to embrace physical health education and and then that and that just sort of carried on uh, and became almost like second nature in terms of all of the meetings like what's the physical health element mm. to any of what we're doing so that's yeah. that's what I would say and I, and I Forgive me, I really enjoyed the process of that mm. during the 12 months, and I think it brought much closer ties and relationships with the Physical Health Trust. And I've got to say for St George's that even during that time, and they did an incredible job, they still managed to develop a head of nursing job for mental health, mm. which I applied for and got. But at the same, mm. they did that during COVID. They mm. still saw it as a priority. That it, made, mm. it, it it. meant that they really did value it, in, in my opinion. Um, mm. And as we're coming out, hopefully, at the at the end of this, they're now starting to push all kinds of projects forward to us where we will be working very closely with South West London and St
2: George's mm. the Mental Health Trust.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. I think you make a great point, Dan, in terms of how that was still seen as a priority amidst all of, amidst all, in the midst of all of that. So, like, um, mm. at King's, um, one thing that was... Quite sort of palpable from, from the beginning. So, mm. kind of critical incident went out, um, all of this was going on. There, there was an understanding or, or recognition of the impact that it would have on kind of the staff, the way in which staff were having to work. So, obviously, mm. we saw a lot of images coming from sort of Spain and Italy and, and some of the decisions clinically mm, that were having to make. Mm. And so, um, quite quickly, um, the sort of the, the trust clinicians um, working across both Kings and Slam brought together and, and kind of mobilised this staff support program, which um, mm. uh, a couple of months ago won a won an award at um, in the HSJ won the HSJ mm. awards. But that was uh, it was incredible to see how suddenly there was this understanding and recognition that. I think to, to some degree we've all kind of known anyway. Like this work is hard and this work is can mm. be taxing, and so. But there was a recognition that something had to be done and something had to be done quite quickly. So this um, staff support program was set up. There was a kind of well-being hub set up, and we worked in in close collaboration with um, the uh, the wingman service. So a lot of pilots who um, weren't obviously flying mm. came in and ran one of the hubs, but. What also happened is that it pulled together all of the mental health clinicians across the yeah. Trust and we were all um, sort of redeployed as part of the staff support programme. So whether that was working with directly with um, kind of clinicians in ITU or buddying up with particular areas yeah. and offering kind of reflective spaces um, for staff to, to kind of, I guess, yeah, work through some of the things that they were experiencing. So it was great to be to be a part of that um, mm-hmm. as a mental health nurse. Um, and I think one of the few mental health nurses in, in the Trust to, to kind of be a part of that. And then also, um, I guess, I was talking to, to one of my colleagues about this, and um, her and I, we used to job share. So she's a general nurse by background, any sister, mm-hmm. IT. So when everything um, kind of started, we were sharing a, a job and she, as she described it, she ran into a burning building. It was like like that. And and so she went straight away into ITU and and there was this kind of, I don't know if you felt it, Dan, or if any of the listeners felt it, but it was this kind of, um, I always felt a bit guilty in, in terms of maybe I wasn't doing something or I wasn't doing enough, but actually being able to think about how um, as a mental health nurse, my skill set could be used as I said in the staff support program. Mm. And later going on to um so I've just finalised this this report, which was looking at mapping mental health provision across Kings. So um with the different trusts that we work with. And then also trying to consider how COVID had an had an impact on mm. mental health presentations for us to think, okay, in in, in the next wave, which is we we're now kind of coming out of the end of, but in future situations. What are some of the things that we need to consider? How is this affecting the, the population around us? And um, and how can we prepare for it? So I think it was an opportunity again to, to kind of, I guess, add to that focus that was already there. So mm. it came about not just the mental health of people coming through the door in terms of mm. Patients, but also the mental health of the whole organisation. And I think that's one of the things that I'm quite keen to see maintained. And and it feels like that's that's being maintained where I'm working at.
0: Mm. It's been such a strange time, hasn't it? Because on one hand, I mean, sort of tragedy aside, you suddenly realise what people could do when they actually just got on and did it. We did lots of stuff educationally, you know, bringing all the students centrally and then reallocating them out so people weren't crossing London and spreading all those sorts of things. And it happened in a second.
2: Yeah. And, and
0: again, hanging on about education, you know, all this stuff we were told we couldn't do online, everyone does it now. And if anyone ever tried to write a policy two or three years ago about calling calling service users instead of having them come in, everyone's like, that's impossible. And you're like, mm, is it though? What is it? And, and so we're working in a really changed situation. But one of the things I found a little bit disturbing, I don't know how you guys felt about it, was when it all started to subside, all of a sudden like the free like coffee stations started to disappear and you know what I mean like you sort of started seeing a bit of a retrenchment yeah like hey guys you might die have some coffee and biscuits like well okay I never turned down coffee and biscuits for sure and then at some point they're like still might die but we're right we're totally out of biscuits now (laughs) (laughs) and it was it was it was a strange sort of uh yeah very strange time and also thinking about well-being of staff Mm -hmm. how that it's classed as a mental health issue but actually being scared in a pandemic isn't a mental health issue it's a perfectly rational response it's reasonable to be worried or frightened or tired or overworked so those things are all really reasonable so there's, there's this really weird kind of balance between how we manage mental health and how we respond to supporting staff at difficult times I wonder if you guys had any thoughts on that
3: well, I, I, I'm not sure whether I am quite answering what you were saying, but it, it sort of jogged something <laughs> in, in my mind. Mm. That, that for me, although obviously COVID as a as a pandemic as an experience for the entire world is a dreadful, awful, mm. frightening thing, mm. something that I feel happened over the last you know 14, 16 months is that the world's understanding of what emotional well being is has changed. Yeah the entire i mean there will be people who obviously refuse to accept that but the the world now has an understanding of basic mental health and feeling of unwellness or feeling of distress or feeling of unrest whereas uh, uh, before perhaps you know in the world and people could be forgiven for thinking ah yeah people with mental health conditions have mental health problems you know people with mental illness have mental health problems and we the rest of us do not you know Mm-hmm. But actually I think now everyone realizes that we're only ever a couple of incidents away from
1: mm-hmm.
3: going under, from becoming depressed, from our anxiety <laughs> rising up, from mm-hmm. panic taking over, from the fear of death, from our mortality. It's only just there. And and I feel like that this, this can change the world for the better, especially mm-hmm. in terms of how we respond and talk to each other about distress and mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I, I've got to say, going back to your point, you know, the the we had lots of claps, didn't we? I I cringed every week. I live on a lovely estate where we all talk to each other. So when everyone else was clapping, I'd stick my head out the window and say, "Shut up!" What are you? You know <laughs> what? He, 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 thank you very much, but no, it doesn't change anything. And the fact that. You know, not to get too political. Our government isn't really going to change the salaries of the frontline workers. I don't really need a change to my salary, but there are mm. hundreds of thousands of nurses that do yeah. that are being underpaid while they put their lives mm. at risk, yeah. uh, and the healthcare assistants as well, and the support mm. staff, and the security staff. You know, um. So, so yeah, I, I think, you know, as a as a as a human race, we've really changed and embraced learning from difficult difficult lessons during this time but I do feel mm-hmm. that you know you know that governments and policies also really need to be seriously rethought because mm-hmm. now that it's over d- 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 people deserve a break. Those front mm-hmm. nurses deserve a break and they deserve a little extra. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry I've not gone off on one there but yeah.
0: I don't think anyone's disagreeing. It wasn't seems reasonable. <laughs> I do I always think we talk about lots of learning things it kind of takes us back around to kind of education again and sort of like that um, parity of esteem. So, obviously, for people who don't know, we had a new set of um, standards from the NMC, and um, mm. talking about bringing physical and mental health a little closer together. And I wonder what your thoughts were on that on that new curriculum.
3: Simon, do you want to go first? Because
0: <laughs> whenever it looks like it might be dangerous, it's like, oh, yeah. go on, Simon, <laughs> off you go." Simon
2: <laughs> so knows that. about this one, Nikki. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so. I think there's a couple of things to think about. So I'm 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 all for it in terms of thinking about how to care in a more holistic way. So if I think mm. about kind of the, when I trained, um
3: mm.
2: it was a condensed course anyway. And I remember kind of the the extent of my physical health training was how to do like a urinalysis how to do a manual blood pressure and then off you went into placement and, and things sort of along the way I've picked up, I've kind of taken on different bits of study to try and enhance that knowledge. So mm-hmm. I guess finding opportunity um, or kind of thinking about, and we've, we've spoken about this, as passionate as we are about postgraduate education, mm-hmm. if we can get that kind of understanding of parity of esteem, that real mix of, of integrated skills before people are sort of baked and out of the oven and ready to go into practice, then half of the half of the work is done. And so mm-hmm. like recently um, at the University of Roehampton, we we um, we organized a, a sort of symposium to think about kind of parity of esteem. And particularly, I guess in response to that, what that means and what that looks like in terms of of pre-registration, nurse education. So how do we teach in a holistic way? Like what does that, what's the nuts and bolts of that how do we kind of think differently and embed that in our programs so we're not just sort of playing lip service to it and i think that's the most important thing it is how you actually as i said sort of take it from the training ground into mm-hmm. Wembley onto the pitch and and make yes. it happen each and every time as opposed to just this mm-hmm. is what it looks like in theory and mm-hmm. i think education has a huge role to play in that
0: mm-hmm. Did
2: you want to add to that, Dan? Yeah, I think
3: I think I do. So, <laughs> so, so Simon and I like did some really cool pieces of work. Um, the kind of thing that like you know you, we we do excited to get up in the morning and go to work. And this these mm. were education projects. So we took mm. post reg nurses who were in specialist areas like the emergency department. Or uh, the equivalent up at uh, Southwest and St. George's, which is, is called Lotus Suite. And, and you know, the, the sort of crisis intervention, short stay areas. We brought them together and we gave them topics and we kind of used workshops and we left the, the learning really open. And we didn't, it re- remind me, we didn't set any actual targets of what you learned, did we, Simon? We just. No, we,
2: we didn't. We gave them, so we created a bit of a space for them to, I guess, have quite open and honest conversations about what yeah. we think about the other side, and mm-hmm. and that was quite that was refreshing for us as well. In terms of as mental health nurses, what preconceptions do we have of, of you guys, and and mm-hmm. vice versa? And mm-hmm. actually, by doing that, they started to have or sort of started to recognise that we had the same fears. We just kind of expressed them in different ways. So we all were concerned about not being able to do enough, and not being as competent. And then that, from that, they started to kind of develop their own learning and say, OK, well, this is something I'd like to learn about. This is something I'd like to understand a bit more about. And then oh, back to you, Danny. Mm. So. Yeah, and then on these courses,
3: so we've done, for, for, the, for this specific course, which we call Reciprocal Learning, we've got, we're on our fourth cohort now. So it's mm. relatively small groups, maybe 10 people, six from each, five from each area. Um, so one from, from A&E, sorry, five from A&E and sorry 5 from a and 5 from Lotus. Um and we broadened it out a little bit we're on the fourth Um, but what we did once we give them two or three days of these workshops which are really open-ended and to be honest Mm -hmm. if i remember right Simon and i generally sit in there listening a lot and we have some facilitators Mm -hmm. who are specialists in say wound care or um Mm -hmm. uh, or self-harm or psycho you know psychotherapy dbt Mm -hmm. background or you know a to e assessment they run a little discussion and then it turns into a workshop so is that kind of feel yeah but if I remember right Simon and I most of the time are sitting there listening to stories and watching people form relationships and mm-hmm. getting very excited and whispering to each mm-hmm. other and you know writing things on paper but these courses these um these reciprocal learning courses H.E. helped us with a bit of funding to put them on and then then it was all about us finding this network of people uh mm-hmm. Simon and I sort of a little bit cheekily knocking on people's doors with a box of muffins and seeing if they'd release their staff for a couple of days mm-hmm. um and like a, a lot a lot of networking to get um placements set up and i mean they're shadowing placements so the a e nurses go up the road and vice versa mm-hmm. and they spend a few days in each other's environments really just mm-hmm. observing and mm-hmm. and then everyone comes back at the end of this you know shadowing experience and they share more ideas mm-hmm. and like i'm um, I mean, I probably am an emotional person, but the, the, this the, that last day is. <laughs> yeah, it really fills me with like, excitement and emotion yeah. and hope. And we haven't like enforced this set of learning on on these mm. nurses. We haven't said this is this is how you will become a um, a competent physical health care, and this is what you need to know about mental health. We just bring them together mm. and then let them form their own network and um, mm. suggest a few topics. <laughs> Simon, you okay. can come in here now.
0: I've actually got some questions from students, actually, if you find a feeling it came for them. (laughs) (laughs) There's one in there that you might like, and particularly (laughs) for the first one. Um, Oh, should we have one registration? We've got a second-year student asking. You know who you are. I will track you down, second-year student. I'm joking. (laughs) Should we have one registration? Yes, no, and obviously we'll come to Dave for this as well. No reason the health visitor should be left out. <laughs> I, mean,
2: I think how long's a, a sort of piece of string? Like, it, I think ideally it would be great for everyone to kind of be in the same space, kind of sharing that knowledge. And I think that's what sort of Dan was attesting to. When you bring people mm-hmm. together and you allow them to share the same space and to share narratives, you realize the commonality, you learn from each other, everyone has an opportunity to, to grow. I think if something like that were to be done, it would have to be done quite sensitively, so that Mm. some kind of because if it was one registration, some disciplines weren't um, kind of more represented, or or certain kind of things weren't left out. So I think currently, probably it's it's yeah. it's a difficult one. Um,
0: <laughs> well, just the, any, anybody who starts the answer to that with it's all about kind of like coming together and sharing narratives, it's not just a general nurse, they're a mental health nurse. <laughs> like, who says that in general services? Come on,
3: <laughs> I, I do. I feel like on, that down. it might put people off joining. I don't think everyone mm-hmm. wants to be a mental health nurse, and I tell you what, uh, I always tell this story when I start with mm-hmm. a new group of students. I always say, Oh, yeah, I might. When I was trying to decide whether I become a nurse, uh, I did a clever exercise. I went upstairs and I wrote everything down, why I should become a nurse and why I shouldn't become a nurse. And so i got four A4 sides of the reasons why I should become a nurse. And then on the why I shouldn't become a nurse, there's something like, because I don't like blood and bones sticking out and etc, etc. I'm like, okay, well, I won't become that kind of nurse then. I'll become the kind of nurse that talks to people mm-hmm. and does therapy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's a mental health nurse. So, mm-hmm. so one registration, I can understand the idea, but I think I think there is something in the identity of the adult nurse, the identity of the child nurse, the identity of a learning disabilities mm-hmm. nurse and a mental health nurse that means a lot, so much to the person, um, to each of us. And mm-hmm. I think that that wouldn't fix the problem. You would mm-hmm. still potentially have um, um, an outweighed ratio of, of nurses who wanted to work in different areas and who had more interest. And perhaps, so I think it makes sense that we have those specialist areas. Mm.
0: Dave, did you want to join in as a multiple
1: badge holder? Yeah, I think as you were talking, my answer is no. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think we should have a single nurse registration. Uh, i think you know for the points that have already been mentioned but I, I sometimes think back to something you said nikki a few years ago when uh we were doing the mental health nursing future memes
0: No, Yeah, uh,
1: right. and, <laughs> uh, and and i think on yours you kind of spoke about finding your tribe and i think that's a really kind of nice sort of descriptive way of you know talking about you know being a part of the nursing family that i do think that you know there's different sort of bits to the nursing family and, and some people kind of suit being in one part of it and some people suit being in the other part, mm. I kind of hope that what what can be done is that, you know, people kind of, uh, you know, honour the different sections of it and we yeah. we kind of recognise the different skills. And, and I think certainly what I, on, on my kind of nursing journey, first as an adult nurse, then going into health visiting uh, and then doing the job that I do now, is, you know, really kind of, respecting and recognising the expertise of both, of, mm-hmm. of all four fields mm-hmm. uh, and I, th- I think what always makes me feel really sad is when I speak to adult nurses and they say they feel that they're the, mm-hmm. the forgotten sort of field mm-hmm. of nursing and then you speak to mental health nurses and they say that they feel that they're the forgotten mm-hmm. field of nursing and, and, and again that kind of replicates across all the different sections. Uh, but, you know, all are important, aren't they? You know, all are, are, have really mm-hmm. valuable skills to to, to bring. And, yeah. and I think the other thing to say is, actually, you know, generic nurses, have you got enough time to be able to become skillful in all the different parts that you do an excellent job? And I just think it'd be impossible that, you know, actually, to be a really good mental health nurse takes a shed load of effort mm-hmm. to do, you know, Important work and, and 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 important education. So, you know, I'd kind of worry that if we if we kind of tried to make everyone a, a, a jack of all trades, then we certainly become a master of none. Mm.
0: That's a really thoughtful answer. Yeah, I can't believe we're still friends after all these years. <laughs> you haven't jumped me, but good for you. <laughs> i have got another three. Okay, one one here is um um I'm in my third year now. I have to go in and out of adult nursing. Placements sometimes, and even though I had a first-year placement, I don't really feel like I belong. Have you got any tips for blending in in a general hospital? Or just feeling like you belong, maybe?
2: Don't blend in. I'll say that. That's probably a
0: start. (laughs) Who's going to go first? Because you didn't plan it this time, and now both of you spoke.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Simon, you go first. We heard that, Simon. <laughs> I said, don't blend in. I, I said, yeah. you know, why blend in? I mean, obviously, mm. you know, you follow the rules in any environment you're in and you mm. you form relationships. But I, I don't know that you do need to blend in. Mm. Sometimes it is about digging deep and finding the resilience to accept feedback that, in a way that perhaps is different in an adult nurse or a general nursing setting. Um, mm. But, you know, you'll really grow and it will kind of chisel and kind of like shape who you are as a as a nurse. So I think it's really important to go through those experiences. Um, Mm. But yeah, I I don't think blending in is good. I think taking a curious stance, I think being open-minded, I think Mm. accepting when you don't know something and saying you don't know it, those kind of really clear, simple uh, techniques for being in an environment that is alien to your Mm. own. Um, And also being really thankful and really, really appreciative of what you are being taught and what are being offered. But yeah, if you're a Mm. mental health nurse in an acute setting, yeah,
0: don't try and blend in. I can tell. Simon, <laughs> <laughs> did you want to
2: add anything to that? Uh, no, it was kind of expertly put. I'd, I'd probably say exactly the same thing. Um, just kind of, yeah, soak up as much as you can, um, learn as much as you can, and 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 I think that the, the fact that it's a completely different setting to what we're used to working in as mental health nurses, there's so much you can learn, and 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 yeah, I remember one of my first kind of shifts working in liaison psychiatry and some pretty quick lessons I learned about uh, kind of situational awareness and and kind of thinking a a bit Mm. differently uh, coming from a kind of acute inpatient setting so yeah just soak it up um and keep flying that little flag for mental health. Dave did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, just uh, it, it's, it's funny because one of the things that I
1: often think about is the the way that kind of nursing associates have developed because obviously they don't have the four fields of nursing. Uh, and it's interesting because Mushtag on uh, social media has made exactly the same point. So she said, nursing associates are trained in all four fields of nursing, including placements. They're trained to work with all age groups. Should we bring back a common foundation in nursing degrees and then students can pick our change of speciality afterwards in a space of a year or two? And I think it's interesting because I don't know if you remember back a few years ago, there was the uh, Shape of Caring kind of report that came out from Health Education England. And that was kind of proposing that that Common Foundation program and, and, and sort of shifting things forward. I think one of the anxieties that I always have with any kind of, you know, let's think about changing nursing in the future is that we should never do it by kind of saying let's pause what we do now we'll spend a few years thinking about what we should do next and then in a few years time we realize actually we're not going to change anything anyway but we've wasted two or three years where we've not trained anyone and it's that kind of bit about you know even if we look into the future of developing different elements to nursing we need to invest now in getting nurses you know educated and Uh, out the other side with the current sort of structures that we've got we we, you know we've never got enough space to leave it a year or so
3: yeah i think i think i think this happens in quite a lot of industries and a lot of um um we we kind of punish people for making decisions and i think that if we were to had, had a better system to enable people to convert once they had registered you know if we gave people more opportunities to work in each other's areas you know areas mm. that they weren't familiar with to get experience once mm. you know post registration because we've had lots of sort of problems or questions is probably a better word mm. with, with um you know managers saying oh well w- w- how can this person be in our area because you know we're not insured for this or yeah. you know or the job description doesn't say mm. adult nurse and oh mm. you know or uh, well if they're not a mental health nurse they can't take the section papers you know Mm-hmm. rather than okay well let's look at what this person can do in this environment that is going to really help the patients and mm-hmm. the families and the other staff you know and if we think as well about people who have gone through the registration process and you know specialize so their adult their their children's nurse their ld how can we use those skills across mm-hmm. all areas rather than mm-hmm. what's that phrase silos working in mm-hmm. silos away from everything else you know, look, there's an LD nurse passing, but we won't invite mm-hmm. her in because she's, you know, and I think, you know, finding innovative, clever, quick ways to get people into different environments would I mean, why would it matter? You've chosen your specialism. You're going to be able to use it once you've registered. but You can also work in all kinds of diverse areas.
0: Mm. Yeah. We've got a couple more questions. I can see we're coming to an end now, aren't we, really? Because we're running out of time. Did any of you guys want to chip in on that before we move on to these last two questions and start to wrap up?
1: I just wanted to say something, Nicky, about kind of that issue of managers choosing the kind of nurses that they want for the future. And, And I think we've got to be really cautious about that because obviously they're going to be influenced by budgetary constraints. So it might be that they want the cheapest nurse possible. Uh, it's also maybe that they'll, you know, if you said, what kind of nurse do you want today? Well, we want critical care nurses. We want nurses that, you know, can get people recovered from long COVID, you know, physically. And we want nurses that can immunise. And actually, if we just focused on getting nurses for those scenarios, then we'd be hugely letting down a huge segment of the society. So I just think we've got to be, you know, a bit cautious about that. Mm. Yes,
0: yeah, good point. So, do you want to say anything or do you want to take this next question as it's coming out?
2: Let's go for the, the next
0: question. <laughs> There's, the two. There's one from the first year, which I love, which is, what's the weirdest thing that ever happened to you as a nurse? So thank you for that question, year one. <laughs> but I'll leave you to ponder on that and then clear out all the ones you absolutely can't say publicly. <laughs> and, um, the other question is, what do you, what does mental health have to learn from general nursing? And what does general nurse nursing have to learn from mental health? That's right. Thank you for that. Thank you for that question. Year
3: three student, oh, this one. You, Simon, definitely.
2: Um, so again, like I'll start as I said, kind of getting people sharing the same space and telling stories. I think there's an incredible amount of power in that. Um, and so I think there's the understanding or there's, there's the appreciation that a lot of the challenges that we're facing are the mm. same. Um, mm. If we think about. Um, kind of the people that we're working with and, and the challenges that they're coming with, so kind of the social determinants of health, we're, we're working with this. And so understanding that, I guess, each of us in our kind of camps, if you will, understanding a bit about kind of what the other side does or, or kind of moving towards a bit more of a generalist position enables us to, to not, I guess, hand off care as much, so there's there's less of a kind of fragmented type of care for, for the people who come through our doors. I think um one, one of the things that is is quite obvious or in the time that I've worked in in um, sort of an acute hospital is um I guess the, the ability to so I speak about kind of mental health nurses being quite dexterous and being quite flexible. But I've also recognised that in my kind of, in my adult nursing colleagues, so particularly those nurses that I work with in renal, so having to be quite quite flexible and work in a way that is um, almost the, the, the kind of tasks that they're doing don't allow. So if you're working in, in in a very kind of medically focused way and it's very task orientated, being able to kind of step outside of that and, and kind of think about the process behind that and the person that you're working with is something that some some nurses do really well and I think it's something that some can also learn from kind of mental health nurses and then I think us as mental health nurses there's there's a myriad of things that I've learned since I've been working in acute settings so whether that's um kind of thinking about your your sort of day-to-day kind of particular tasks particular skills but then it's also about um just thinking about things like the sheer kind of flow and volume of people that you see and being able to um i guess to to adapt to that and to work with those different presentations so we, we've all i think we've all got something to learn
0: mm-hmm. i guess
2: it's about teasing out what that is in particular mm-hmm. uh-huh. Very
0: thoughtful <laughs> nodding there I like yeah because uh, uh, i almost
3: want to say well it it, it, it there's so much that you couldn't, you know, it's really difficult to quantify. But I think it's about it's about coming together and learning from each other, meaning whoever the individuals are in the room, whatever that group is, there'll be something new. This is why I said earlier, every time Simon and I have run a course, we sit there going, what? wow, where is where is this coming from? How, how did we not think about that? Why haven't we put that on the agenda? You know, this is, oh my God, next time, that was good. I'm glad they come up with that because every time you bring nurses together from different backgrounds and also you know different personal backgrounds and you know different cultural backgrounds you 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 create something new that they're learning so I'm not going to give a list but I will say it, it is. Bringing people together is about that you know it's about education, it's about collaboration, and it's about innovation. And when you mm-hmm. bring two or three, because well, we've also had elderly nurses and and children's mm-hmm. nurses on the course, yeah. also rolling out this reciprocal learning to different clinical areas, so mm. it works. We know it does. But come together and ask each other, you know, who's doing the jobs. What can you teach me about whatever topic you're interested in? Um, it, yeah, because it's limitless.
0: Did you want to say anything, Dave? Or did you want us to just move on? No,
3: nope,
1: I'm happy with that one.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm glad you're happy. No, so, I guess then it's weirdest thing that ever happened to you. And then our closing thoughts. If you if you feel that you have no stories that you can repeat, then we totally understand that.
2: <laughs> and I'll let you go first this time.
0: Good <laughs> <laughs> um, from Simon, like I mean, that. <laughs> well...
3: I I managed to catch a poo. That was something that I would never want to do again. But I was on an Alzheimer's specific unit. And this poor old gentleman who um, obviously didn't quite know where he was at that moment. And I just I just didn't want the indignity of it landing where it was going to land. So I caught it. Uh, Always
0: carry gloves, kids. Always carry gloves. Always carry gloves.
3: (laughs) And I think the HCA, you know, who said he probably didn't need to do that. (laughs)
2: It's like you know, you live and learn.
0: You've got amazing cat-like reflexes. What are you going to do, yeah. Simon? Is there anything you wanted to share?
2: I don't think I've got a story to uh, to top that. So I think. And <laughs> <laughs> On
0: one of these um, men is in thanks. management. <laughs> thanks a lot, Simon.
2: Thank
0: you. <laughs> I think, um, Dave, is there anything that um has come in that we need to address before we close up? Because we've run over, I'm afraid.
1: I, I don't think so, but I've, do you want to hear my weirdest thing that I've ever yes, think I've yes, done? Yes, obviously. Yeah. Better be weird. Well, the, this this well, the first one was uh, I went to a visit and uh, they just had the drive reconcreted. And whilst I was in the visit, they kind of did things that meant that they'd taken away the thing you walk over. And just as the visit finished, I was like leaving. They're like, oh, we'll put the stuff back again. And I was like, no, no, it's OK. I'll just jump the concrete and then, and then we'll be fine. <laughs> so I took a, a running jump and managed to land with both feet just in the concrete. So uh, it's a bit like the Hollywood Walk of Fame where, you know, my <laughs> two kind of footmarks were left. Uh, but I think my most kind of exciting weirdest thing was uh, I was at a, a clinic and uh, an old guy had got locked in one of the toilets uh, and I was asked to help him and I got to kick down the door so he couldn't escape and it was the most kind of really low-rent uh, action movie scene that you ever imagined uh, but you know I, I felt like Dave. A, yeah I've done a, a, good, a good job that day that you know I saved someone from being locked in a toilet. <laughs>
0: well i think on that note ladies and gentlemen <laughs> I think we should come to an end it just remains to say thank you very much for everyone watching tonight and joining in really appreciate that particularly the students came through with some questions there um and thank you very much to our guests simon and dan who have been fantastic hopefully we're going back again in the future because that was a fantastic night so thanks very much guys take care bye-bye thanks a lot see you bye-bye <laughs>